We are in Colossians today um, as we jump in here. And so this reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And I keep jumping over it and jumping back over it, but I'll find it here eventually. All right. Here's what it says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all of things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're so thankful um, to have you here. over the last couple of years, we've done this each year, and we're going to do this again. Uh, we spent a little time in the, in the new beginning part of the year talking about where we are as a church um, and what it means um, that we have this mission together, that we have a mission that we're going to go on together. And so our mission statement, uh, summed up, is on the screen right here, and I'd love for you to read it with me this morning. So let's read this together. Knowing God, growing together— and reaching out. That was a trick. We were going to try to test you and flip the slides halfway through this, but that's all right. Um, We're so glad uh, to be on this mission together. And um, why do we have a mission statement? Why does a church have a mission statement? It's because this is what we believe that we are doing together. We believe that together our job is to um, lead people to know who God is, to grow in their faith, and then to reach out with this love into our community and into our world. This is our passion. This is what we're all about. And we hope that over the last few years, that any, any kind of decisions we've made or directions we've gone have been with the goal in mind of doing this as one. Um, we are pretty passionate about this mission, and you have been pretty passionate about what we've seen over the last couple of years in, in growing into our mission. Because here's what we saw. In 2016, we had higher worship attendance than we've ever had in the history of this congregation. Now, that's only 11 years, and we're sort of on a growth pattern, so I never want to get too wired up about it. Uh, but, but we're really excited that we've seen more people uh, coming to be a part of worship than, than we have in the past. And so leading people into this relationship, into a place where they can know God, has been a high priority for us, and we're pretty passionate about it. In addition, um, we had— Uh, a number of baptisms this year, and a number of people who've said, uh, for us, faith um, is becoming real um, in a real way. And so that's been really important to us, and and we're excited about that. We want people to know God. If we're talking about growing together, we've had groups upon groups upon groups this year. Seriously. We have somewhere in the neighborhood of 275 people in this church who have a group. Now— the majority of those are part of a Kids Connect group, and so they have a connected group, but they have people who they would say, they're my people. We have um, more than 50 students in Student Connect groups. 
we have a whole bunch of people who have joined um, Youth Connect and, and Adult Connect groups um, as a part of this community. And it's been such a, an amazing thing to see the stories of people who've been involved in Connect groups. Uh, if you're thinking about being a part of a Connect group, talk to Hope after worship. Go find her and say, Hope, I want to know more about what's going on. Um, she knows about all these gro- groups and, and what's happening in them. And you can jump in and be a part of one of those uh, that are meeting throughout the week in different places and growing together. And finally, um, we've seen outreach. Uh, this church continues to look for ways to help outside its walls and ways that we can care for um, one another. Uh, Jeff has led us in that charge, and I think we're going to continue to uh, lean that way over the next coming year, and that's going to be a real passion for us. But the question becomes um, this. Underlying a mission um, is why do we have a mission? And Jesus said these words. He said, I pray that they will be one as the Father and I are one. And a mission is what gets us going in this same direction so that we can say, this is what we're doing together. Whether we disagree on certain issues or we're trying to figure out certain ways, we say, no, no, we're going to have a mission together. But a mission answers, a mission statement or a mission answers a really important question. What are we doing? Drilling down a little bit, and I would say this for you. While our mission statement is awesome, knowing God, growing together, and reaching out, it also works for almost every church, everywhere, anytime. It is the mission of the church as well. We want people to know who God is. We want people to grow in relationship with God. We want people to reach out with this love of Jesus. And so um, the question is then, how are we going to do that here? And over the next few weeks, I want to talk about some of these um, We've spent almost four years together as a church. Some of you have been here longer than that. Some of you have been here less than that. But I've been with you almost four years, and we've been working this out. And what we've seen develop over the last few years are what I would call a few core strategies, some ways that we figure out how we're going to do some of these things. And so we're going to have a strategy. Um, And what we're going to talk about is not necessarily anything groundbreaking. In fact, if you've been here for a while, you're going to go, most of you are going to say what our leadership team has said over the last couple months as we've talked about these things. Yeah, that sounds like us. But we want to name these things so we can say, if we get off track, it's because we're going to be getting away from who we are and the way that we do things. So this is the question. What is our plan to help people know God, grow together, and reach out. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four strategies, and we get these from the Bible. We get these from Scripture, and so next week, we're going to be handing out kind of a sheet that talks about what is the underlying, but this week, I want to talk about what are these four core strategies. And so this week, we're going to talk about this. Our first strategy is that we focus on Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the priority and kind of the first step of of where we turn our eyes and our focus. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about a few others uh, to build relationships and what that means for us, to choose to serve, and to strive for excellence, which we want to clarify. We're going to talk about that last, but we don't mean that we're going to be perfect. We mean we're going to offer God our very best, and the best that we can offer to God is what we want to bring to him. And so we have these four core strategies, and we're going to talk through these one at a time and just say, why do we think this is true? And where in the Bible are we talking about this? Where in the Bible are we getting some of these crazy ideas from? So come on back for the next couple weeks. We'll dig into them together. And 
at the very end of this, we'll take a moment, we'll gather together, um, and, and at our congregational meeting, we want to bring these to you for either amending, because you've heard this and gone, whoa, 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 or to say, yep, that's us, as our leadership team has started to say over the last few weeks. All right, so this week, we're going to—here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about this first one, and we want to—we're going to bring all these, and we're going to make them a little bit more full so we talk about why we're doing them. And so let's read this together one time, if you would, with me. We will focus on Jesus because we know that Jesus is the only reason we are here. That's a little extreme, don't you think? I mean, there's coffee— and there's friends, and there's coffee, and there's uh, songs, and there's coffee. I, I like coffee. I'm just going to admit that right now. But there's all kinds of different reasons. There's kids' programs, and there's fun things to do, and there's reasons we show up. Jesus is the only reason that we're here? That seems a little bit wild. That seems a little bit over the top. Church is a fun place, and we want to be here. But I want to ask this question. I want you to think about it for a minute. If you were to think about this, what is the one thing you would never want to change about church? And for some of you, as I'm saying that, what's the one thing you would never want to change about church? It's something that has already doesn't quite fit into this place. Some of you are going, well, I have this memory from my childhood. Some of you are thinking about music, and some of you are thinking about uh, different things, and some of you are all over the place, or maybe you're making a list of six or eight or ten things you wouldn't ever really want to change. And I can make that list, and I have, and I've come up with lots of different things that I wouldn't want to change. But if I was going to drill it down to one, I would always tell you this. I would never want my church to look different than Jesus. That's the one thing I would never want to change. I would never want to change the way that we talked about Jesus or the character of who Jesus is. You see, when I was young, the reason that I started being a part of a church was not because I thought church was so amazing, but it's because I, I began to read about this guy who captivated me. He was fascinating. He would walk into the most complicated situations, and he would sort of figure out ways to both say what was really going on and make people know that they were loved and cared for in the middle of that situation. I was amazed by it. It's unbelievable, because it's one of the hardest things to actually do. I try to do it once in a while, and I end up offending all kinds of people as I start to really um, talk about who God is. But then I also open my mouth, and somebody says, Do you know you said that? I said, I say a lot of words. I'm not sure all the things they say. No, that's, that's not really what I said. But I'll say, I didn't mean that. And I'm trying to figure out how it works. But when we, when we hear from Jesus in Scripture, I'm always amazed at the way he balances these things. Grace and truth. It's Jesus who I would never want to move from the church. We can't forget. The church can exist without music— without kids programming, without buildings, without good coffee, without bad coffee, whatever it happens to be in that church. The church can exist with all of those things. And I'm telling you, we know this because we have this man whose name was Paul, and his church existed without any of those things. Paul's church looked like this. He would get on a boat or in a road or, or in a boat or on a road or somewhere, and he'd go to a town— and he would look around and he would say, who can I tell about Jesus? And then whoever was there, 
he would start telling them. And then if they decided to believe in Jesus too, that was church. And he would say, okay, we're going to be church now. Let's find some bread. Let's find some wine. Let's have communion. Oh, we're going to go find a pool and we're going to start baptizing people. There was no building. There was no structure. There was really not even a pastor. Paul sort of appoints himself to be a leader and shows up in all these communities. And yet, the church grows. And I would imagine he's trying to figure out, well, what does it mean then that I just show up and start churches? And so when he's writing to the Colossians, he begins to talk to them and tell them a little bit about what's going on. And he, at, and he writes these words in verses 15 and 16. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, Paul had just one thing to teach. He didn't have to worry about all kinds of different ideas that were going on. He says, I only have one thing that I need to impart on people, and that is that Jesus has come. And he wants to share with them some of the amazing things about what Jesus is doing. And so he, he comes up with this little turn of phrase that I just can never get over. He says this, Jesus is the—no, go back, go back. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And then he begins to add this in the next verse. We add, will you go to the next verse now? I, I teased you for a minute. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a bold statement. But Jesus is all that Paul has. It's all he's got. He's not sure where he's going to get um, food for the next day. And as somebody who lives on the kindness of others, I can tell you this. This is a tough thing. You're not quite sure what's going to go on, but he goes into communities where this structure isn't put together. And he starts to say, I'm going to need God to provide, and I'm going to need God to provide through the community. He tries to figure out how he's going to share this reality. And he says, if, all I, if this is all I have, is it enough? Is it enough? Paul's phrase that he writes in another one of his letters is this. His grace is sufficient for me. That's really all I need. It's really all I'm looking for. He tells the people, don't get your eyes focused somewhere else. Don't worry about how things are structured or what's going on here or what's going on there. Stop a minute and ask this question. Is Jesus in it? Is Jesus here? Because Jesus promises us the only thing that we truly need. In verse 18, he says this, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And this is where Paul gets to his point. It's not just that Jesus is born of the dead. We can get to this point. We get to Easter Sunday, and we say, resurrection, isn't it amazing? Jesus rose. Paul says, no, no. That's only half the story. Jesus is not the only born of the dead. He's the first. And there will be a second, 
and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a one millionth, and a ten millionth, and a one billionth, and whoever they are, hear this good news. Through Jesus, you and I become the nextborn of the dead. Those who die and rise without fear, without worry, with these promises that say that we will see one another again, and maybe more importantly, that we will see our Creator and our God again, who watches over us and cares for us and brings us together. Jesus makes us a promise that nobody else can make us. And Paul clings to it and says, this is the most important thing you can hear. The firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Paul is so excited because Jesus is not the only person who will rise again, but that he's the one who's showing us the way. You see, Paul had this reality that he knew. The only way to go where God goes is to follow Jesus. The only way to go where God goes is to follow Jesus. From death to life, from the end to the beginning, from fear into faith. Think about that. Following Jesus teaches us how to go from death to life, from fear to faith, from thinking that we are seeing the end to realizing that we are only seeing the beginning to thinking that this is all there is, to, to realizing that this is only a foretaste of the feast that is to come. We get scared and we get worried in large part because we forget this reality, that Jesus is the only reason that we're here in this place, sharing this good news, singing these songs, and rejoicing. The only thing that makes a church unique from, say, a country club or a service organization is this reality. That we know that God loves us, has cared for us, and wants to pour into us the life that he has poured into his son, Jesus. And so if we're going to dig further into the strategy of focusing on Jesus, we say this. And we borrowed this from our home church, our predecessor, or our, our mother church, First Lutheran, where they, they, they say this, and we're going to add this to who we are. If it's not about Jesus, it's not worthy of our time, energy, or money. We will relentlessly cut everything else out of what we do. I want to give you some parameters to be able to walk into rooms and go, you said this is what we were about. We're going to be about Jesus and what he's doing in the world, and what he's calling us to do in the world, and the ways that he cares for people, and the ways that he blesses people. We may argue a little bit back and forth between each other, between us, about how exactly that gets lived out. But we want to start with this commitment. If it's not about Jesus, it's not, a, it's not worthy of what we're being called to do as a church, because what we're being called to do as a church is a high calling that comes from the one who gave us life and who gave us hope. You see, we need to have one focus because everything else could disappear. We may lose buildings. We may 
lose this ability to put together a plan or a big ministry or children's ministry. We may not have the ability to go on a mission trip or turn on the lights or whatever it happens to be. All these things are fleeting. But the one that is not and the one that makes this church a church is this. Jesus will still be with us. If it's not about Jesus, it's not worthy of our time, our energy, or our money. You see, there's this story about a guy named Peter. And I was telling it with our kids this morning. There's this story about a guy named Peter. And Peter is the one in this story that teaches us about what it means to trust in Jesus. Jesus is walking across a lake, and you would imagine that's the craziest thing ever because lakes don't freeze in Jerusalem or in Judea. This is not a thing that you can pull off. You can't just be like, well, there was ice, and he was sort of coming across, and it was great. No, no, this lake is not going to freeze. And here comes Jesus across the lake, and as they watch it happen, they're afraid, which makes sense because if I saw somebody walking on top of water, I would be scared too. And then they start to recognize who it is. And Peter says, why don't you let me come to you? Why don't you let me come to you? And, says, and Jesus says, why don't you do that? So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You see— we have this tendency when we get nervous to look away and to notice all the things. But Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, wrote about this story specifically. And he said, don't forget, the waves are always there in the story. They don't start and Peter gets scared. They're always around him. There's always something to be nervous about. But for a moment, he looks straight at the one who loves him and can give him all the things he needs to be able to do what he's called to do. And he says, I'm going to walk on this water with you, Jesus. He gets scared and he looks away. He turns and he looks down. He's not quite sure what's coming next. And yet, in the middle of all of this, Jesus walks with him. And when he gets scared, he looks up at Jesus and he says, Lord, save me. And, Peter, and, and Jesus goes, okay. I'll hold on to you. If there was ever a metaphor for what we need in life, it's simply this, that when we're scared, we can look at Jesus and say, if you're calling me to this, I can go. And when we're real scared and things seem like they're falling apart, we simply reach up and go, Lord, do you have us? And he says, yes. You see, this is what we see in our lives all the time. Jesus is worthy of all we have. Because if it's not about Jesus, it's not worthy of our time, our energy, or our money. So we want to have laser focus on this reality, if you put up that last slide. On this reality. And let's read this together one more time. We will focus on Jesus because we know that Jesus is the only reason we're here. We must be relentless in keeping our focus on him. So let's pray that we can do that. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have given us the opportunity to see who you are. We pray that you will make us in your image, that you will remind us of who your son is, and that you'll call us to continually follow, that you'll call us to act in the ways that he acted, and that you'll call us that when we're afraid, that we'll reach out to our Lord Jesus and call on him to save us. 
We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and together God's people said, amen.